to chapters five and six of Joseph Andrews. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. Joseph Andrews by Henry Fielding. Book two, chapter five. A dreadful quarrel which happened at the inn where the company dined, with its bloody consequences to Mr. Adams. As soon as the passengers had alighted from the coach, Mr. Adams, as was his custom, made directly to the kitchen, where he found Joseph sitting by the fire, and the hostess anointing his leg, for the horse which Mr. Adams had borrowed of his clerk had so violent a propensity to kneeling that one would have thought it had been his trade as well as his master's nor would he always give any notice of such his intention. He was often found on his knees when the writer least expected it. This foible, however, was of no great inconvenience to the parson, who was accustomed to it, and, as his legs almost touched the ground when he bestrode the beast, had but a little way to fall, and threw himself forward, on such occasions, with so much dexterity that he never received any mischief, the horse and he frequently rolling many paces distance, and afterwards both getting up and meeting as good friends as ever. Poor Joseph, who had not been used to such kind of cattle, though an excellent horseman, did not so happily disengage himself, but falling with his leg under the beast, received a violent contusion, to which the good woman was, as we have said, applying a warm hand with some camphorated spirits, just at the time when the parson entered the kitchen. He had scarce expressed his concern for Joseph's misfortune, before the host likewise entered. He was by no means of Mr. Towouse's gentle disposition, and was, indeed, perfect master of his house, and everything in it but his guests. This surly fellow, who always proportioned his respect to the appearance of a traveller, from God bless your honour, down to plain, coming presently, observing his wife on her knees, to a footman, cried out, without considering his circumstances, What a pox is this woman about? Why don't you mind the company in the coach? Go and ask them what they will have for dinner. My dear, says she, you know they can have nothing but what is at the fire, which will be ready presently. And really, the poor young man's leg is very much bruised at which words she fell to chafing more violently than before. The bell then happening to ring, he damned his wife, and bid her go in to the company, and not stand rubbing there all day, for he did not believe the young fellow's leg was so bad as he pretended, and if it was, within twenty miles he would find a surgeon to cut it off. Upon these words, Adams fetched two strides across the room, and, snapping his fingers over his head, muttered aloud, He would excommunicate such a wretch for a farthing, for he believed the devil had more humanity. 
These words occasioned a dialogue between Adams and the host, in which there were two or three sharp replies, till Joseph bade the latter know how to behave himself to his betters, at which the host, having first strictly surveyed Adams, scornfully repeating the word, BETTERS, flew into a rage, and, telling Joseph he was as able to walk out of his house as he had been to walk into it, offered to lay violent hands on him, which, perceiving, Adams dealt him so sound a compliment over his face with his fist, that the blood immediately gushed out of his nose in a stream. The host, being unwilling to be outdone in courtesy, especially by a person of Adam's figure, returned the favour with so much gratitude that the parson's nostrils began to look a little redder than usual, upon which he again assailed his antagonist, and with another stroke laid him sprawling on the floor. The hostess, who was a better wife than so surly a husband deserved, seeing her husband all bloody and stretched along, hastened presently to his assistance, or rather to revenge the blow, which to all appearance was the last he would ever receive, when, lo, a pan full of hog's blood, which unluckily stood on the dresser, presented itself first to her hands. She seized it in her fury, and without any reflection, discharged it into the parson's face, and with so good an aim that much the greater part first saluted his countenance, and trickled thence in so large a current down to his beard, and over his garments, that a more horrible spectacle was hardly to be seen, or even imagined all which was perceived by Mrs. Slipslop, who entered the kitchen at that instant. This good gentlewoman, not being of a temper so extremely cool and patient as perhaps was required to ask many questions on this occasion, flew with great impetuosity at the hostess's cap, which, together with some of her hair, she plucked from her head in a moment, giving her, at the same time, several hearty cuffs in the face, which, by frequent practice on the inferior servants, she had learned an excellent knack of delivering, with a good grace. Poor Joseph could hardly rise from his chair. The parson was so employed in wiping the blood from his eyes, which had entirely blinded him, and the landlord was but just beginning to stir, whilst Mrs. Slipslop, holding down the landlady's face with her left hand, made so dexterous an use of her right, that the poor woman began to roar, in a key which alarmed all the company in the inn. There happened to be in the inn at this time, besides the ladies who arrived in the stage-coach, the two gentlemen who were present at Mr. Towhouse's when Joseph was detained for his horse's meat, and whom we have before mentioned to have stopped at the ale-house with Adams. There was, likewise, a gentleman just returned from his travels to Italy, 
all whom the horrid outcry of murder presently brought into the kitchen, where the several combatants were found in the postures already described. It was now no difficulty to put an end to the fray, the conquerors being satisfied with the vengeance they had taken, and the conquered having no appetite to renew the fight. The principal figure, and which engaged the eyes of all, was Adams, who was all over covered with blood, which the whole company concluded to be his own, and consequently imagined him no longer for this world. But the host, who had now recovered from his blow, and was risen from the ground, soon delivered them from this apprehension, by damning his wife for wasting the hog's puddings, and by telling her all would have been very well if she had not intermeddled like a bee-blank as she was, adding he was very glad the gentlewoman had paid her, though not half, what she deserved. The poor woman had indeed fared much the worst, having, besides the unmerciful cuffs received, lost a quantity of hair, which Mrs. Slipslop, in triumph, held in her left hand. The traveller addressing himself to Mrs. Graveairs, desired her not to be frightened, for here had been only a little boxing, which he said, to their disgracia, the English were accustomata to, adding, it must be, however, a sight somewhat strange to him, who was just come from Italy, the Italians not being addicted to the cuffardo, but bastonza, says he. He then went up to Adams, and telling him he looked like the ghost of Othello, bid him not to shake his gory locks at him, for he could not say he did it. Adams very innocently answered, Sir, I am far from accusing you. He then returned to the lady, and cried, I find the bloody gentleman is uno insipido del nullo senso, da matto di me, if I had seen such a spectaculo in my way from Viterbo. One of the gentlemen, having learnt from the host the occasion of this bustle, and being assured by him that Adams had struck the first blow, whispered in his ear, he'd warrant he would recover. Recover, master, said the host, smiling. Yes, yes, I am not afraid of dying with a blow or two, neither. I am not such a chicken as that. Phew, said the gentleman. I mean you will recover damages in that action, which undoubtedly you intend to bring, as soon as a writ can be returned from London, for you look like a man of too much spirit and courage to suffer any one to beat you without bringing your action against him. He must be a scandalous fellow indeed, who would put up with a drubbing whilst the law is open to revenge it. Besides, he hath drawn blood from you, and spoiled your coat, and the jury will give damages for that too. An excellent new coat, upon my word, and now not worth a shilling. 
I don't care, continued he, to intermeddle in these cases, but you have a right to my evidence, and if I am sworn, I must speak the truth. I saw you sprawling on the floor, and blood gushing from your nostrils. You may take your own opinion, but was I in your circumstances, every drop of my blood should convey an ounce of gold into my pocket. Remember, I don't advise you to go to law, but if your jury were Christians, they must give swinging damages. That's all. Master, cried the host, scratching his head, I have no stomach to law. I thank you. I have seen enough of that in the parish, where two of my neighbors have been at law about a house, till they have both lawed themselves into a jail. At which words he turned about, and began to inquire again after his hog's puddings nor would it probably have been a sufficient excuse for his wife that she spilt them in his defence had not some awe of the company especially of the italian traveller who was a person of great dignity withheld his rage whilst one of the above-mentioned gentlemen was employed as we have seen him on the behalf of the landlord, the other was no less hearty on the side of Mr. Adams, whom he advised to bring his action immediately. He said the assault of the wife was in law the assault of the husband, for they were but one person, and he was liable to pay damages, which he said must be considerable, where so bloody a disposition appeared. Adams answered, if it was true that they were but one person, he had assaulted the wife, for he was sorry to own he had struck the husband the first blow. I am sorry you own it too, cries the gentleman, for it could not possibly appear to the court, for here was no evidence present but the lame man in the chair, whom I suppose to be your friend, and would consequently say nothing but what made for you. How, sir, says Adams, do you take me for a villain who would prosecute revenge in cold blood and use unjustifiable means to obtain it? If you knew me and my order, I should think you affronted both. At the word order, the gentleman stared for he was too bloody to be of any modern order of knights, and, turning hastily about, said, Every man knew his own business. Matters being now composed, the company retired to their several apartments, the two gentlemen congratulating each other on the success of their good offices in procuring a perfect reconciliation between the contending parties, and the traveller went to his repast, saying, as the Italian poet says, Je vois very well que tuta est passe, so send up dinner, good Boniface. The coachman began now to grow importunate with his passengers, whose entrance into the coach was retarded by Miss Grave Airs insisting 
against the remonstrance of all the rest, that she would not admit a footman into the coach, for poor Joseph was too lame to mount a horse. A young lady, who was, as it seems, an earl's granddaughter, begged it with almost tears in her eyes. Mr. Adams prayed, and Mrs. Slipslop scolded, but all to no purpose. She said, she would not demean herself to ride with a footman, that there were wagons on the road, that if the master of the coach desired it, she would pay for two places, but would suffer no such fellow to come in. Madam, says Slipslop, I am sure no one can refuse another coming into a stage-coach. I don't know, madam, says the lady, I am not much used to stage-coaches. I seldom travel in them. That may be, madam, replied Slipslop, very good people do, and some people's betters, for aught I know. Miss Graveairs said, some folks might sometimes give their tongues a liberty to some people that were their betters, which did not become them. For her part, she was not used to converse with servants. Slipslop returned, Some people kept no servants to converse with. For her part, she thanked heaven she lived in a family where there were a great many, and had more under her own command than any paltry little gentlewoman in the kingdom. Miss Graveairs cried, She believed her mistress would not encourage such sauciness to her betters. My betters, says Slipslop, who is my betters, pray? I am your betters, answered Miss Graveairs, and I'll acquaint your mistress. At which Mrs. Slipslop laughed aloud, and told her, <laughs> Her lady was one of the great gentry, and such little paltry gentlewomen as some folks who travelled in stage-coaches would not easily come at her. This smart dialogue between some people and some folks was going on at the coach-door when a solemn person riding into the inn and seeing Miss Graveairs immediately accosted her with, Dear child, how do you do? She presently answered, Oh, papa, I am glad you have overtaken me. So am I, answered he, for one of our coaches is just at hand, and there being room for you in it, you shall go no farther in the stage unless you desire it. How oh, can you imagine I should desire it, says she, so bidding Slipslop ride with her fellow, if she pleased, she took her father by the hand, who was just alighted, and walked with him into a room. Adams instantly asked the coachman, in a whisper, if he knew who the gentleman was. The coachman answered, he was now a gentleman, and kept his horse and man, 
but times are altered sir said he i remember when he was no better born than myself ay ay says adams my father drove the squire's coach answered he when that very man rode postilion but he is now his steward and a great gentleman adams then snapped his fingers and cried he thought she was some such trollop adams made haste to acquaint mrs slipslop with this good news as he imagined it but it found a reception different from what he expected the prudent gentlewoman who despised the anger of miss graveairs whilst she conceived her the daughter of a gentleman of small fortune now she heard her alliance with the upper servants of a great family in her neighbourhood began to fear her interest with the mistress she wished she had not carried the dispute so far and began to think of endeavouring to reconcile herself to the young lady before she left the inn when luckily the scene at london which the reader can scarce have forgotten presented itself to her mind and comforted her with such assurance that she no longer apprehended any enemy with her mistress everything being now adjusted the company entered the coach which was just on its departure when one lady recollected she had left her fan a second her gloves a third a snuff-box and a fourth a smelling bottle behind her to find all which occasioned some delay and much swearing to the coachman as soon as the coach had left the inn the women altogether fell to the character of miss grave airs whom one of them declared she had suspected to be some low creature from the beginning of their journey and another affirmed she had not even the looks of a gentlewoman a third warranted she was no better than she should be and turning to the lady who had related the story in the coach said did you ever hear madam anything so prudish as her remarks well deliver me from the censoriousness of such a prude the fourth added oh madam all these creatures are censorious but for my part i wonder where the wretch was bred indeed i must own i have seldom conversed with these mean kind of people so that it may appear stranger to me but to refuse the general desire of a whole company had something in it so astonishing that for my part i own i should hardly believe it if my own ears had not been witnesses to it yes and so handsome a young fellow cries slipslop the woman must have no compulsion in her i believe she is more of a turk than a christian i am certain if she had any christian woman's blood in her veins the sight of such a young fellow must have warmed it indeed there are some wretched miserable old objects that turn one's stomach i should not wonder if she had refused such a one i am as nice as herself and should have cared no more than herself for the company of stinking old fellows but hold up thy head joseph 
thou art none of these, and she who has not compulsion for thee is a myhumetman, and I will maintain it. This conversation made Joseph uneasy, as well as the ladies, who, perceiving the spirits which Mrs. Slipslop was in, for indeed she was not a cup too low, began to fear the consequence. One of them, therefore, desired the lady to conclude the story. "'Ay, madam,' said Slipslop, "'I beg your ladyship to give us that story you compensated in the morning.' which request that well-bred woman immediately complied with. CHAPTER Six, CONCLUSION OF THE UNFORTUNATE JILT Leonora, having once broke through the bounds which custom and modesty impose on her sex, soon gave an unbridled indulgence to her passion. Her visits to Bellarmine were more constant as well as longer than his surgeons in a word she became absolutely his nurse made his water gruel administered him his medicines and notwithstanding the prudent advice of her aunt to the contrary almost entirely resided in her wounded lover's apartment the ladies of the town began to take her conduct under consideration it was the chief topic of discourse at their tea-tables and was very severely censured by the most part especially by lindamira a lady whose discreet and starch carriage together with a constant attendance at church three times a day had utterly defeated many malicious attacks on her own reputation for such was the envy that Lindamira's virtue had attracted, that notwithstanding her own strict behaviour and strict inquiry into the lives of others, she had not been able to escape being the mark of some arrows herself, which, however, did her no injury, a blessing, perhaps, owed by her to the clergy, who were her chief male companions and with two or three of whom she had been barbarously and unjustly calumniated not so unjustly neither perhaps says slipslop for the clergy are men as well as other folks the extreme delicacy of lindamira's virtue was cruelly hurt by those freedoms which leonora allowed herself she said it was an affront to her sex that she did not imagine it consistent with any woman's honour to speak to the creature or to be seen in her company and that for her part she should always refuse to dance at any assembly with her for fear of contamination by taking her by the hand but to return to my story as soon as bellarmine was recovered which was somewhat within a month from his receiving the wound he set out according to agreement for leonora's father's in order to propose the match 
and settle all matters with him touching settlements and the like a little before his arrival the old gentleman had received an intimation of the affair by the following letter which i can repeat verbatim and which they say was written neither by leonora nor her aunt though it was in a woman's hand the letter was in these words sir i am sorry to acquaint you that your daughter leonora hath acted one of the basest as well as most simple parts with a young gentleman to whom she had engaged herself and whom she hath pardon the word jilted for another of inferior fortune notwithstanding his superior figure you may take what measures you please on this occasion i have performed what i thought was my duty as i have though unknown to you a very great respect for your family the old gentleman did not give himself the trouble to answer this kind epistle and nor did he take any notice of it after he had read it till he saw bellarmine he was to say the truth one of those fathers who look on children as an unhappy consequence of their youthful pleasures which as he would have been delighted not to have had attended them so was he no less pleased with any opportunity to rid himself of the encumbrance he passed in the world's language as an exceeding good father being not only so rapacious as to rob and plunder all mankind to the utmost of his power but even to deny himself the conveniences and almost necessaries of life which his neighbours attributed to a desire of raising immense fortunes for his children but in fact it was not so he heaped up money for its own sake only and looked on his children as his rivals who were to enjoy his beloved mistress when he was incapable of possessing her and which he would have been much more charmed with the power of carrying along with him nor had his children any other security of being his heirs than that the law that would constitute them such without a will and that he had not affection enough for any one living to take the trouble of writing one to this gentleman came bellarmine on the errand i have mentioned his person his equipage his family and his estate seemed to the father to make him an advantageous match for his daughter he therefore very readily accepted his proposals but when bellarmine imagined the principal affair concluded and began to open the incidental matters of fortune the old gentleman presently changed his countenance saying he resolved never to marry his daughter on a smithfield match that whoever had love for her to take her would when he died find her share of his fortunes in his coffers 
but he had seen such examples of undutifulness happen from the too early generosity of parents that he had made a vow never to part with a shilling whilst he lived he commended the saying of solomon he that spareth the rod spoileth the child but added he might have likewise asserted that he that spareth the purse saveth the child he then ran into a discourse on the extravagance of the youth of the age whence he launched into a dissertation on horses and came at length to commend those bellarmine drove that fine gentleman who at another season would have been well enough pleased to dwell a little on that subject was now very eager to resume the circumstance of fortune he said he had a very high value for the young lady and would receive her with less than he would any other whatever but that even his love to her made some regard to worldly matters necessary for it would be a most distracting sight for him to see her when he had the honour to be her husband in less than a coach and six the old gentleman answered four will do four will do and then took a turn from horses to extravagance and from extravagance to horses till he came round to the equipage again whither he was no sooner arrived than bellarmine brought him back to the point but all to no purpose he made his escape from that subject in a minute till at last the lover declared that in the present situation of his affairs it was impossible for him though he loved leonora more than tout le monde to marry her without any fortune to which the father answered he was sorry that his daughter must lose so valuable a match that if he had an inclination at present it was not in his power to advance a shilling that he had had great losses and been at great expenses on projects which though he had great expectation from them had yet produced him nothing that he did not know what might happen hereafter as on the birth of a son or such accident but he would make no promise or enter into any article for he would not break his vow for all the daughters in the world in short ladies to keep you no longer in suspense bellarmine having tried every argument and persuasion which he could invent and finding them all ineffectual at length took his leave but not in order to return to leonora he proceeded directly to his own seat whence after a few days stay he returned to paris to the great delight of the french and the honour of the english nation but as soon as he arrived at his home he presently dispatched a messenger with the following epistle to leonora adorable 
and charmant. I am sorry to have the honour to tell you I am not the heureuse person destined for your divine arms. Your papa hath told me so, with a politesse not often seen on this side Paris. You may, perhaps, guess his manner of refusing me. Ah, mon Dieu! You will certainly believe me, madame, incapable myself of delivering this triste message, which I intend to try the French air to cure the consequences of. Ah, jamais, coeur, ange, au diable! If your papa obliges you to a marriage, I hope we shall see you at Paris. Till then, the wind that flows from thence will be the warmest dans le monde, for it will consist almost entirely of my sighs. Adieu, ma princesse, ah, l'amour, Bellarmine. I shall not attempt, ladies, to describe Leonora's condition when she received this letter. It is a picture of horror, which I should have as little pleasure in drawing as you in beholding. She immediately left the place where she was the subject of conversation and ridicule, and retired to that house I showed you when I began the story, where she hath ever since led a disconsolate life, and deserves, perhaps, pity for her misfortunes, more than our censure for a behaviour to which the artifices of her aunt very probably contributed, and to which very young women are often rendered too liable by that blamable levity in the education of our sex. If I was inclined to pity her, says a young woman in the coach, it would be for the loss of Horatio, for I cannot discern any misfortune in her missing such a husband as Bellarmine. Why, I must own, says Slipslop, the gentleman was a little false-hearted, but how some ever! It was hard to have two lovers, and get never a husband at all. But, pray, madam, what became of our Asho? He remains, said the lady, still unmarried, and hath applied herself so strictly to his business, that he hath raised, I hear, a very considerable fortune, and, what is remarkable, they say, he never hears the name of Leonora without a sigh nor hath ever uttered one syllable to charge her with her ill-conduct towards him. End of Book 2, Chapters 5 and 6 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox